Your body's trying to tell you something. It's giving you hints that something isn't right. That's why we talk with expert dietitians to break down these early warning signs so you can get closer to understanding what your body is trying to tell you. Our diet here in the US is high in processed foods, sugars, and unhealthy fats. This is the reason our stomach is always hurting. This diet can cause a range of digestive issues from minor discomforts to severe conditions. On today's episode of Wonder Why, we bring on Danielle Gaffin. Danielle is a registered dietitian and founder of Eat Well Crohn's Colitis, a virtual telenutrition practice in the United States. Danielle's story is very personal. Danielle's mom needed two feet of her intestines removed and her husband has Crohn's disease. Understanding the link between nutrition and gut disease prompted Danielle to obtain her master's in nutritional sciences, become a dietitian, and ultimately specialize in nutrition for people with GI conditions. Welcome, Danielle. Oh, thank you so much, Julian. Um, thank you so much for having me, and it's such a delight to chat with you today. Absolutely. Very excited to talk about chronic stomach pains, inability to eat, and sort of these causes. So we're going to get right into it. You ready? I'm ready. All right. What are the root causes of chronic stomach pain? Such a great question. My focus as a dietitian is helping people with conditions like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And for those two conditions, at least, there are several root causes that researchers have shown to play a role in developing the conditions themselves. And those are genetics, the gut microbiome, the immune system, and some sort of an environmental trigger. And the reason I bring those up, Julian, is because food actually plays a role in some of those factors. For example, the Western diet is considered to be an environmental factor that has played a role to the increasing incidence of these conditions worldwide. And we're learning now that certain foods may be more inflammatory, which may play a role in affecting the gut microbiome and the composition of the bacteria down there, whereas other foods are anti-inflammatory and may play a role in preventing the de development of the condition. And then even after the condition has uh, developed in terms of managing symptoms. Wow, there's a lot there to unpack. Can you list again what the root causes are? Absolutely. Several of the main factors that researchers are learning can cause or contribute to the development of, say, Crohn's or colitis are genetics, the gut microbiome, the immune system, and some sort of environmental trigger. It sounds like there's a lot of contributing factors. Is it one? Is it all? Is it some? Is it a combination of all of the above? How does someone end up with this? You're asking the right questions, Julian. For Crohn's and colitis, um, under the umbrella of inflammatory bowel disease or IBD, IBD tends to run in families. So if you or a close relative has the disease, you may have an increased chance of developing Crohn's or colitis. With that being said, there's not a lot we can do about that, right? I mean, our parents are our parents. You know, yes, there's this genetic risk, but then what? that doesn't automatically give them that condition necessarily. We're learning that other factors, we may have more control or power in terms of actions that can prevent the condition or even help manage it after developing. For example, the Western diet as that environmental factor 
is actually a really big deal because researchers have come to a general consensus that the typical Western diet present in many parts of the Western part of the world, but also increasing in other areas in in the world, could be contributing to the increase, increasing prevalence in IBD. So, you know, what is the Western diet? The Western diet has a heavy emphasis on meat, omega-6, polyunsaturated fatty acids, simple sugars, you know, the fast foods so prevalent in our society. So this type of diet promotes inflammation. It's generally an inflammatory diet, which can, if you will, say genetics, you know, loads the gun of developing this condition. Something like the Western diet can pull the trigger to actually developing it. This leads us to a typical patient journey, a typical journey for someone who ends up in these circumstances. I think our audience would like to hear how does someone end up in this circumstance uh, with this particular diagnosis or with these symptoms? How how does it end up there? It sounds like fast food is a contributing factor. Is that the only one or just talk to us about how does someone end up here? Wonderful question. Typically, when I start working with clients, they come to me after they have a diagnosis. So in terms of typical patient journeys, one patient coming to mind is Elena, a 25-year-old who was experiencing symptoms of a severe flare-up of ulcerative colitis when we started working together. Elena had a huge interest in fitness and clean eating. So for her, you know, she wasn't getting fast food three times a day, every day of her life, but she still developed this condition. And, you know, for her, her symptoms were really intense when we started working together. She had lost 25 pounds. She experienced hair loss and she had no energy to work out, which was particularly distressing for her because fitness was such an essential part of life before her diagnosis. So during our initial session, I asked Elena just some questions to understand where she was in her journey. One of the questions was about a typical day of eating, what that looked like for her. And Elena shared that she had read a lot of conflicting information online and just felt at this point she was unsure what to eat. As a result of all the information and misinformation she read online, she had eliminated entire food groups from her diet. And she reached a point where she was afraid and confused about what she could eat. And unfortunately, I've seen this time and time again, that restricting too many foods can lead to an unbalanced nutrient-poor diet, which can negatively impact digestive tract function and overall health. So to identify Elena's food triggers, I had asked her more about food she had been restricting and whether she had felt any symptoms after eating any specific foods. She really couldn't pinpoint her triggers, but she did notice, she mentioned one interesting thing actually, that she couldn't tolerate tortillas even though she felt fine with gluten and corn products. So, I mean, this, this was a big deal because this made her really sad because tortillas were an important part of her family's cultural diet. So I wanted to ask her more about these tortillas, specifically if her family made them from scratch or if maybe they 
bought a particular brand at a store. As it turned out, Elena was eating a specific tortilla brand that made her feel very sick afterward, like clockwork every time she ate it. Uh, her symptoms were uh, cramping and diarrhea. I'm not paid or sponsored by any food or supplement company, but I was just curious about this tortilla. So, you know, I, I looked up the specific brand online and, you know, the package from the front looked normal and healthy with claims on the front with, you know, buzzwords like plant powered and protein and big letters. I mean, you may have seen claims on food packages before, right? Like gluten free. Uh, low-fat, sugar-free. You know, at first glance, these labels may seem really helpful for someone with digestive issues. And unfortunately, researchers have shown that consumers are more likely to buy a food product that has a health claim on the front of the package when compared to the same exact product without a claim. Long story short, the reason I mention that is those claims actually make it harder for people with digestive issues. It can make it hard for consumers, especially with Crohn's or colitis, to choose the right options unless they do a thorough inspection of the ingredients list. For example, with that tortilla, when I examined the ingredient list, I found several questionable ingredients for colitis, including modified wheat starch, distilled monoglyceride, hydrogenated soy oil, caramel coloring, cellulose gum, and sucralose, which is a sugar substitute. These ingredients were just hidden in this tortilla that was making many health claims on the front of the package. So to help Elena, I virtually looked at other tortilla options in her preferred grocery store, which is a service I provide for clients. And I found a tortilla brand in her store in the refrigerated section with only five basic ingredients. Long story short, Elena tried the Back to Basics tortilla, and I'm delighted to report she felt fine afterwards. And so she was, you know, Elena felt happy she could enjoy tortillas again without experiencing any of those symptoms. I would not want to give up tortillas. So that's incredible that you were able to find a tortilla brand that really what she was able to have. So where is Elena now? Elena is doing so well, Julian. It's really exciting. Once we learned what actually was triggering her symptoms, it gave her confidence to eat again. You know, when, when my colleagues ask why I take the time to provide the service of finding simple swaps, right? Minimally processed product swaps for clients. My answer is, in a world of endless food options, navigating the grocery store can be overwhelming. And my goal is to empower my clients with the knowledge and tools they need to make informed decisions about their food choices. And that includes finding simple, minimally processed product swaps that works for their individual health needs. Um, so Elena felt much more confident about her food choices. She didn't feel confused anymore. And she was able to start eating normally again, just with a little bit of guidance. And that gave her the energy, well, A, she started gaining weight, B, her hair started falling out, but C, she was able to get back in the gym and start, you know, gaining back that lean muscle mass. She was so upset she lost. So yeah, long story short, she's gained weight, feels better, having fewer symptoms. She, um, who knew a tortilla was like something we could do to jumpstart her journey, right? 
For many listeners here, this could be very overwhelming. And this process can go and start in many different ways. Do you have any suggestions on where they begin and how they start? Really great question, Julian. For anyone listening who's feeling really confused and is looking for just how to start in this process, I have two suggestions on an action plan that you can take to start today. First tip, my recommendation is a symptom food journal. So pretty much what a symptom food journal is, if you've never heard of it before, is keeping a record of foods eaten and then taking note of when symptoms worsen in order to help you identify patterns that indicate potentially problematic foods. If you're interested in trying out this activity, there are just a few pieces of information to keep track of. But keep in mind that the more information you're up to track, the easier it will be for you to go back and identify potentially problematic foods or have someone like me, like an IBD dietitian, do that for you. So first of all, the date and time of food or drink was consumed. The time is very important to note. The second piece of information, the portion size and ingredients in a food and drink consumed. And if you're really up for it, mention how the food was prepared. For example, grilled or baked or fried, include condiments, and list brand names or restaurants when possible. And then the whole purpose of the activity is to know any symptoms you experience. So the type of symptom, the severity of the symptom, and most importantly, the timing of the symptom. And then the idea is to put on your detective hat and go back and explore trends or have someone like me do that for you. But say that a symptom food journal does not sound like a sexy recommendation, not a helpful recommendation, not something you feel up for at this time, that's okay. On my website, I also have, if you have Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, a food survival guide. So it's a free downloadable PDF that gives you food recommendations for when you're flaring, for when you're having just you know, such a hard time with symptoms and inflammation and your condition. So you can access that by going to eatwellcrohnscolitis.com, my website, and uh, right at the top of the page, you can press get your copy and it will download immediately. That's amazing that you've got these resources on your website. We'll make sure to have those in the show notes. In the meantime, patients that do want to do this on their own, those are good tools. What about the patients who need someone to help them in their corner? Wonderful question. If you think you could benefit from a dietitian's services, a first step could always be asking your doctor, see if your, your doctor has a recommendation. Some doctors are, are more um, helpful than others on that front. Pretty interesting, but some are very pro-dietitian. You'll get an immediate referral. Sometimes they're just not able to refer you to someone in your area or maybe with your exact condition. Probably first step check there. If not, there are other sort of listservs you, you can check out. I know a lot of private practice dietitians do um, have a little profile you can check out on, say, healthprofs.com, or you, know, you can do a quick Google search, find a dietitian in my area, or you know, find a dietitian to help me with a certain condition. 
this really lends itself to the common question that a lot of people on this journey have. Does insurance cover digestive health? You're asking the money question, literally. Unfortunately, I'm unable to accept health insurance as coverage for medical nutrition therapy is currently very limited. For instance, Medicare currently covers services for individuals with diabetes and specific kidney diseases, but that's about it. Presently, there's a bill in Congress called the Medicare Nutrition Therapy Act of 2021, which aims to extend coverage to people who have other diseases and conditions. But right now, in terms of insurance, accepting it for me would mean I'm limited to provide the kind of help and work that insurance companies allow. And it's just so limited and incomplete that I choose not to be a part of them. So instead, I'm committed to offering a comprehensive solution for my clients that explores every possible avenue. I want to provide them with much more personalized and individualized attention than insurance companies would allow in terms of time. So uh, if it's helpful to my clients, I, I do try and make it work. So if you have health savings accounts, uh, HSA, or flexible spending accounts, FSA, through, through work, those are often accepted by dietitians and nutrition services are covered within them. I can also provide patients with a super bill to file a claim with their insurance company. And of course, many dietitians offer payment plans as well, just to try and make it as doable as possible. Danielle, I think you've taken us from the top, from a symptom to fully healing yourself while having some assistance along the way and figuring out how to navigate insurance and healthcare. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We would love to have you back soon. Well, thank you, Julian. It's been a blast to chat with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning into the Wonder Why podcast. If today's episode resonated with you or reminded you of someone struggling with similar symptoms, please share it with them. It might just be the life-changing moment they need. This show is brought to you by Dietitians for a Healthy America, a nonprofit dedicated to advocating for dietitians and promoting nutritional therapy to enhance health and prevent diseases for all Americans. For more information, visit our website, www.dietitianshealthieramerica.org. Until next time, stay curious and empowered in your health journey.